Well, putting it into context, uh, last week we saw that at the conclusion of chapter one, it says that um, uh, in the second year of King Cyrus, which means 70 years had had passed, uh, Daniel just kind of adds that little clip in there. He survived the rise and the fall of, of Nebuchadnezzar. He went all the way into King Cyrus, who was a a whole different kingdom. Uh, The Babylonian Empire collapsed, the Chaldeans, and now we have the Medo-Persian, and it comes in through Cyrus, and uh, it's a a fascinating uh, verse that that encompasses 70 years. And as we know, Daniel um, was um, an eyewitness of Jeremiah and Isaiah. Uh, He had read the scriptures, probably even studied under their teaching uh, when Jeremiah had prophesied in Jeremiah 29 of an exile. Uh, I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. And then they go into exile, 70 years of exile. Uh, Daniel witnessed, he was standing on the walls of Jerusalem. He witnessed the destruction of Jerusalem and having uh, his family probably killed and destroyed, much like uh, ISIS is doing or ISIL is doing with uh, Christians in the Middle East. They're, they're being killed. Also, Jews are being killed. And uh, these little children are you know, probably being put into slavery. Some of them are being killed if they're not able to serve some of their masters in, within that realm. Not unlike what happened with the Babylonians. Um, uh, the Jews were killed. Daniel's parents were probably killed. Daniel with Azariah and, and Mishael and Hananiah were carted off to Babylon, uh, probably about 13 years of age. They were put in the realm of the eunuchs, which means physically they lost their manhood. Uh, and then they were indoctrinated, intoxicated, or at least an attempt to indoctrinate and intoxicate. But Daniel stayed away from the delicacies of the king's table and the wine of the king's table. He still, he lost his name, he lost his language, he lost his country, but he never lost his relationship with the Lord. You can imagine Daniel's parents during his bar mitzvah at 13 years of age saying to him, you know, God is my judge, that's your name, Daniel. God will be as close to you in Babylon as he is to you in Jerusalem. These walls will fall, Jeremiah's prophesied. You stay true to the Lord. You, you keep your eyes on him. Even in the midst of exile, even in the midst of, of a nation that doesn't honor God, you're gonna be uh, a, a super minority. It's all right. You just serve the Lord. He'll protect you. He'll guide you. And, and, and through chapter one, we see this picture of Daniel. And then the 70 years is eclipsed in this final statement of Daniel in chapter one. But then in chapter two, we backtrack and we go all the way back to when Daniel was 17 again. It says in the... Um, in the second year of Nebuchadnezzar's reign, which means three years have passed. The first year of Nebuchadnezzar's reign, he reigned alongside Nebuchadnezzar, which was his father. And then the second two years, you never count the first year of a king's reign. So the second two years would encompass three years. And so Daniel was in training for three years. He completes his training and he's now serving um, in the court of the king. Uh, and as we studied last week, he was 10 times wiser and, and, and smarter than all the rest of the magicians and the astrologers and the Chaldeans and the sorcerers. Uh, God showed favor to Daniel. And we're going to pick up as we go back in Daniel's life. Chapter 2 goes back in time. And we're going to see a story where Daniel's about 17 years of age, maybe 16, 16 or 17 years of age. And the kingdom is coming under this uh, awful situation where Nebuchadnezzar is kept awake at night by a dream that keeps plaguing him and he doesn't get any sleep. And we'll cover that in a moment. And in this plaguing dream, uh, Nebuchadnezzar is just so frustrated with his astrologers and his sorcerers and his magicians and the Chaldeans. The word Chaldean is this idea that they would speak between the gods and man. It's like Hermes, the mythical creature that would communicate between the gods and men. And that's where we get the word hermeneutics. These Chaldeans were ministers of false gods. Uh, sorcerers would, would you know, do incantations. Magicians would do sleight of hand um, astrologers would read the stars in the sky and like a horoscope. And these were the ones that were giving insight to the king as he would try to rule in the kingdom. Because every human being on the face of the earth contemplates their existence, the meaning and the purpose of life, and, and they look for answers, and they're going to try to find answers anywhere they can. So they assemble these astrologers, these, these sorcerers, these magicians, these Chaldeans to try to gain some insight. Well, at this point, Nebuchadnezzar's reign, he's pretty young at, the, at this, and he's surrounded by all of his father's uh, wise men, and he's sick of them. He's, he's grown up in the palace. He's grown up with a silver spoon in his mouth. He's had all of the aspects of luxury. He's got all the money in the world. He's got all the women in the world. He's got all the power in the world. He can travel anywhere he wants, sleep anywhere he wants. He can ride any car he wants. He's got it all. 
And in the emptiness, and I always say this, be, you, know, you get trapped in the jungles of prosperity. Nebuchadnezzar's trapped in the jungles of prosperity. We talk about the dying children in Africa, and we have dying people in Westlake that are trapped in the jungles of prosperity. They're just as impoverished as the people in Africa. Theirs is a different kind of impoverishment. You know, you look at children who are without food, and, and, and their, their stomachs are bloated, and their hair falls out. And you look at somebody who's overindulgent, their stomachs are bloated, and their hair is falling out. You know, it's, it's, it, wealth and poverty create the same misery in mankind. It's the destruction of mankind, and, and they're both just as lost. For a rich man to enter heaven is like a camel passing through the eye of a needle. It's hard to reach a rich man because they feel as though they're self-sufficient. There's a pride that comes with that. And, and yet here, the, the greatest ruler of the greatest empire uh, on the face of the earth in a, in a period of history where you know, the known world is conquered by Nebuchadnezzar, and he is empty in his soul. He's struggling in his soul, and God keeps him awake at night by a dream. Ecclesiastes 5 says, the sleep of a laboring man is sweet, whether he eats little or much, but the abundance of the rich will not permit him to sleep. And uh, this, is, this is the plague upon Nebuchadnezzar. He can't sleep. He can't sleep. It's amazing when you have very little on your mind. You go to work, you get the job done, you go to sleep, you wake up, you go back to work, and, and God gives rest. But for the man who has to lay awake at night looking at his portfolio on the ceiling, wondering if the stock market's going to work, wondering about all these things and trying to move this from point A to point B and trying to get all these things and then wondering if I have to fire, if this person's out to get me and if you've killed somebody, is their family going to come and kill me? And you never get any rest. You never get any rest as you're sitting on top of an empire of dirt. And that's what he's standing upon, an empire of dirt. And the tragedy is when he dies, he's just as poor as anyone else in the room because no U-Haul van follows a hearse to the cemetery. That's the reality. And yet we think we're something on this earth, but it's, it's those possessions and that position in life that hinders us by pride from embracing a savior. And I'm speaking to a room, considering the wealth of the world, most everyone in this room is in the top 5% of the wealth in the world. And, and your pride can keep you from a relationship with the living God because somewhere along the line, you think that this is who you are and you deserve it. Your identity is wrapped up in your possessions and your position and, and maybe even in your passions. But the reality is that we're created in the image of God. We're going to give an accounting to him. It's appointed once for a man to die, then judgment. You will stand before the Lord, whether you're impoverished or you're in the jungles of prosperity. You'll stand before the Lord and give an accounting of your life. And God is a holy God. He's without sin. And people struggle with the word sin. Sin is an archer's term. Where the arrow lands and the bullseye exists is called the sin distance, how far the arrow has fallen from perfection. Now you can try to reconcile your life to God by doing good things, but you'll never reach the bullseye. There's no one in the room perfect, nobody. There's nobody in the room perfect. And the amazing thing about Christianity, every religion in the world, there's only two religions in the world. There's man's attempt to try to get to God by good works, and then there's God coming to man through the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Every other religion in the world is, is trying to get to God by don't drink, smoke, or chew, or hang around with those who do, and you try to follow all the rules, and you try to get close to God, and you never can. But the beauty of Christianity is God moves the bullseye to where you are. He puts Christ's righteousness in your life, and you're righteous, you're perfect in Christ. Not by what you've done, it's, a, it's, it, it's by grace you've been saved, not of works, it's a gift of God, lest any man should boast. It's by grace you've been saved. God moves the bullseye in Jesus Christ you believe in your heart, you confess with your tongue, Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. The bullseye moves to where you are. That's the beauty of Christianity. You're saved by grace. And the beauty of it is it doesn't matter if you're rich or poor, the ground at the foot of the cross is level. And the only way you get to the cross is in humility. You've got to put your pride aside. And that was a stumbling block for the Jews and also for the Greeks. The Jews wanted the sign. Greeks wanted wisdom. And God in his foolishness, which is wiser than the wisdom of man, gave us the cross and the world rejects the cross, so much so that we want to remove Christ from Christmas, God from Thanksgiving. What is, who does an atheist give thanks to? And then the atheist, you know, on their tombstone, an atheist is all dressed up with nowhere to go. I know where they're going. But the idea is we've been created, as it says in Romans 8.20, subject to vanity. There's nothing in the world that satisfies you but the Lord. And the reason why I share all that as we prepare to read this opening passage is because Nebuchadnezzar has come face to face with his mortality. Something's troubling him that's keeping him awake. He doesn't know the meaning or the purpose of life and he has no answers. He's surrounded by the wisdom of the world and he's empty in his soul. And along comes a 16, 17-year-old boy that rocks his world. 
This passage of scripture we're about to read, we won't cover it in its entirety. We'll do it in the coming weeks, but it is the backbone of the greatest realm of prophecy in the entirety of scripture. It's prophecy that would not only endure during Nebuchadnezzar's time and Cyrus's time, but it goes even to present day and into the future. The prophecy of the vision that God gives Daniel is one that's going to rock us in the next coming weeks. We're going to see how the world aligns. We're going to see the picture of what they call an antichrist. Revelation is understood through the book of Daniel. Seventy weeks is all encompassed. It's a fascinating dream and a fascinating book. And God chose Nebuchadnezzar. One other thing before we read is that we'll go into the passage of Scripture. From chapter 2 of Daniel to chapter 7 of Daniel, it changes from Hebrew to Aramaic. From chapter 2 to chapter 7, it's all in Aramaic. And the reason why it's in Aramaic is because God is speaking to the Gentile, to us, those who aren't Jews. And he wants to rock Nebuchadnezzar's world to awaken him to the reality of this prophecy that would uh, contain him and his future. He wants to speak to every heart this morning. As he took time to, to write chapters 2 through 7 in Aramaic, he's choosing today through the voice of English, through this language spoken, for you to hear it as well. God would want that none would perish, but that all would be saved and come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And so he would even open up in chapters 2 through 7, strictly in Aramaic, to declare that. It's fascinating that in the entirety of the book of Jeremiah, there's only one verse in all of Jeremiah that God uses uh, to, to speak to, to uh, his people. It's Jeremiah 20, verse 10. And basically what Jeremiah is declaring Uh, excuse me, uh, chapter 10, verse 11, he says, thus you shall say to them, and this is in Aramaic, after they had declared that they'd be in exile, God speaks to Jeremiah, Jeremiah speaks to the Gentiles in Aramaic. One verse, he says, thus you shall say to them, the gods have not made the heavens and the earth, and the earth shall perish from the earth and from under these heavens, all your gods will be destroyed. In Aramaic, he says to all these uh, Babylonians, your gods aren't gonna live and you're going to go the way of the stone that they've been created from. They've been fashioned from your hands, and you're going, to re- you're going to die, and your gods won't save you. The only verse in all of Aramaic in the entirety of the book of Jeremiah. And now Daniel has chosen to write chapters 2 through 7 in Aramaic so that not only would the Babylonians hear it, but we today would hear it. This is a powerful passage that you must pay attention to. Today is a day of salvation. God wants to speak to your heart wherever you sit. So let's stand for the reading of the word of the Lord. Now in the second year of Nebuchadnezzar's reign, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams, and his spirit was so troubled that his his sleep left him. Then the king gave the command to call the magicians, the astrologers, the sorcerers, and the Chaldeans to tell the king his dreams. And so they stood before the king, and the king said to them, I've had a dream, and my spirit is anxious to know the dream. Now by the way, dreams, meaning he's had this dream recurring over and over again, no sleep for a few days on end. Then the Chaldeans spoke to the king in Aramaic, O king, live forever. Tell your servants the dream and we will give the interpretation. The king answered and said to the Chaldeans, my decision is firm. If you do not make known the dream to me and its interpretation, you shall be cut in pieces and your houses shall be made in ash heap. Jeepers. However, if you tell the dream and its interpretation, you shall receive from me gifts, rewards, great honor. Therefore, tell me the dream and its interpretation. They answered again and said, let the king tell his servants the dream and we will give its interpretation. The king answered and said, I know for certain that you would gain time because you see that my decision is firm. If you do not make known the dream to me, there's only one decree for you. For you've agreed to speak lying and corrupt words before me till the time has changed. Therefore, tell me the dream and I shall know that you can give me its interpretation. The Chaldeans answered the king and said, there is not a man on the earth who can tell the king's matter. Therefore, no king, lord, or ruler has ever asked such a thing of any magician, astrologer, or Chaldean. It's interesting that God is setting this up that only he can solve this and that the Chaldeans would declare it to be true. It is, a difficult, uh, it is a difficult thing that the king requests, verse 11, and there is no other who can tell it to the king except the gods whose dwelling is not with flesh. For this reason, the king was angry and very furious and gave the command to destroy all the wise men of Babylon. So the decree went out and they began killing the wise men and they sought Daniel and his companions to kill them. Verse 14 then, the, uh, then with counsel and wisdom, Daniel answered Arioch, the captain of the king's guard, who had gone out to kill the wise men of Babylon. He answered and said to Arioch, the king's captain, why is the decree from the king so urgent? Then Arioch made the decision known to Daniel. And so Daniel went in and asked the king to give him time that he might tell the king the interpretation. 
Then Daniel went to his house and made the decision known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, his companions, that they might seek mercies from the God of heaven concerning this secret, and so that Daniel and his companions might not perish with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. Then the secret was revealed to Daniel in a night vision, and so Daniel blessed the God of heaven and goes on with a powerful prayer that quotes multiple areas of Scripture. So let's pray and ask God's blessing on the study of his word. Lord, we thank you for this picture that you've given to us, 16, 17-year-old boys speaking into the life of the greatest king on the face of the earth, overseeing the greatest kingdom on the face of the earth. And with all of Nebuchadnezzar's wealth and all of his power, he had no peace. And you were the prince of peace. He had no meaning or purpose in life and he had no answers. But there came that 16 or 17-year-old young man who would speak to him the meaning and the purpose of life and give to him the answers. And so, Lord, I pray today that we would receive what you have for us. That like Nebuchadnezzar, you would cause us to put our pride aside. I pray, Lord, that we would come to that saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. I pray that you minister to every heart. We ask your blessing now in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, My voice is hoarse, not because uh, I'm sick. Uh, It's football season. (laughs) My son Daniel was on the JV team. And they ended up winning their league. And uh, at the end of their last game, the head coach of the varsity came out and selected a handful of guys from the JV and put them on varsity. And Daniel got to be one of those guys to go to varsity. And then the varsity went into the CIF playoffs. And they were just in the, uh, uh, the semifinals, the semifinal championship. And they beat Atascadero 49 to 48. It was the craziest game. And I, I lost some years all my life on that one. It was It was unbelievable. And, uh, and now next Friday, they're going to play uh, Paso Robles for the CIF championship. So for the first time since the 90s, 20 years have passed, uh, Newberry Park may have a CIF championship team. So it's exciting. Daniel didn't play at all. So don't think that he, you know, I was reminded him, son, you didn't play. I mean, come on. He did play in the game before when they had a 40-point lead. But he, you know, he had this idea. I, he's a sweet boy, and he's trying his hardest. And I just am so impressed with the way those coaches are handling it. And it's exciting for our little town. Amen. So make sure to drive to Paso Robles next Friday. <laughs> All right. Well, in the passage of Scripture, um, one of the things that, that jumped out at me, especially looking at Nebuchadnezzar's dream, um, here you have this man who oversees the greatest kingdom on the face of the earth, and he's troubled, and sleep leaves him. And he gives this command to the astrologers and the sorcerers and the magicians and the Chaldeans, saying, you've got to gather, and this is what I want you to do. First of all, you're going to tell me what the dream is, and secondly, you're going to tell me the interpretation of the dream. And they're like, I'm sorry, what? How are we supposed to tell you the dream? You had the dream. We we didn't see a manuscript or a videotape of it. This is your deal. He goes, no, no, no. If you guys are worth your salt, you're going to tell me what the dream is. You're going to tell me the interpretation of the dream. They're like, no king has ever asked us of any of his wise men. Why would you ask us of this? He says, look, I'm not messing around. Let me just make it clear to you. You don't do this. I'm going to shred you. I'm going to tie your arm to a tree, your other arm to a tree, your leg to a tree, and your other leg to a tree, and I'm going to set it up so that all I have to do is cut one rope, and you'll be quartered. And then I'm going to go, and I'm going to burn your house to the ground. How's that for motivation? You either give me the dream and the interpretation of the dream, or I'm going to, I'm going to quarter you, and I'm going to burn your house down. And I don't want to hear anymore, because the more you talk, the more irritated I become. You see, Nebuchadnezzar followed his father, Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar had surrounded himself with these wise men, these sorcerers, these magicians, these astrologers, and these Chaldeans. And they all had different roles in the kingdom to bring wisdom to him. And now he sat through the first year of his father's reign. Now he's in the second year of his reign. So three years have passed. And Daniel in the three years, by God's sovereign hand, as, a, as uh, having been taken into captivity and, and sent into Babylon... Uh, there he's trained for three years. He's, he's lost his family. He's lost, physically, he's lost his manhood as he's part of the eunuchs. He's gone from 13 to 16 under the training. He can remember his father saying, your name is Daniel. God is my judge. God will be with you in Babylon as he's with you in Jerusalem. He'll never leave you nor forsake you. He'll, he'll go before you. He'll order your steps. You trust him. Even though you're going to be in a super minority, you trust the Lord, Daniel. Daniel witnessed the destruction of his family and his faith. He'd already gone through a bar mitzvah. He'd gone from boyhood to manhood. All the decisions were on him. And he was serving the Lord diligently to the point where he wouldn't even indulge in the king's delicacies as we saw in the previous weeks. And this kid is solidly serving the Lord. Now he's gone through 
three years of training, and we saw last week he's 10 times wiser than any of the other astrologers and magicians in all the king's court. This kid is solid, not only him, but so is Mishael, so is Hananiah, and so is Azariah. These four kids, even though they've tried to take away their, their identity by indoctrination and intoxication, they've refused that, and they've kept their identity in the Lord. Daniel always refers to himself as Daniel. Anytime that the king would speak to him, they'd speak to him as Belshazzar, uh, the, this, this Babylonian name that was put on him, but Daniel would always say, I'm, God is my judge, that's my name, that's who I am. Even though the world would try to take his identity and indoctrinate and intoxicate him, he wouldn't have any of it. And so Daniel's standing firm. He's grown 10 times wiser. And then all of a sudden, Daniel and Mishael, Hananiah, and Azariah are outside of the court, and they bring in all the older guys from Nebuchadnezzar. And, and Nebuchadnezzar's been up all night. He can't sleep days on end. And this dream is so troubling, so troubling that he calls him in. He says, listen, money can buy a bed but not sleep. It can buy a house, but not a home. It can buy sex, but not love. I got all the money. I can have any, any chariot I want. I can ride any, any rig I want. I can live anywhere I want. I can sleep with anyone I want. I can eat anything I want. But right now, I'm empty. And this dream has so troubled me, I can't even sleep. It doesn't matter all the money I have. I get no rest. The Bible says God gives sleep to those he loves. The scripture says in Ecclesiastes 5, the sleep of a laboring man is sweet, whether he eats little or much, but the abundance of the rich will not permit him to sleep. And, and Nebuchadnezzar's wide awake. I don't know if you've ever gone through insomnia, but it's awful. You toss and you turn, you, you try to switch sides, get a cool pillow, you do whatever you can, you get a different bed, sleep number, whatever it is, nothing works. You can take drugs, but you wake up groggy and it's not even a restful night's sleep and you're just trying to figure out how to make it work and all the things you go through and the worries of the world are just burdened upon you and you have no peace, that peace that surpasses all understanding. You have no idea how to define that. There's even Christians in the room right now that struggle over that. You've got God in a compartment and he's a portion of your life and you remember that salvation experience, but as far as Lord of your life, none of the drugs are Lord. You know, the burdens of the life are your Lord. This is what you lay awake burdened by. Prayer isn't something that's common to you. The very first time that Daniel's faced with this burden, the first thing he does is he calls Hananiah and Azariah and Mishael and they go to prayer and they cry out for the mercy of God. What's the first thing we do? We go to the medicine cabinet. God says, call on me. God gives sleep to those he loves. We'd rather run to the therapist or run to wherever, not to say that they're to be dismissed, but that shouldn't be your first source. And there are some folks in the room that don't have sleep because you have a medical condition. I get that. But there are a lot of you in the room that don't have sleep just because you're simply stressed. You just, God isn't the Lord of your life. It's that simple. And the amazing thing about Nebuchadnezzar is that his age, he's young as well. His dad's passed off the scene and now he's in charge of the greatest empire kingdom on the face of the earth. And he's surrounded with guys that his father put in place and he looks at him and he says, you know what? I've had every drug there is to take. I, I've, I've tried every bed there is. I've slept with every, you know, he just goes through the whole line. He says, I'm empty. And I'm sick of you guys. You're all preying on me trying to, to get something from me. And you're all part of the palace and you eat my food. You sit at my table and, you, and you, 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 you give me something that never suffices. And it's amazing that the minute he says, look, I, I not only want the dream, I want the interpretation of the dream. They go, whoa, wait a minute. You've got to tell us a dream, then we'll give you the interpretation of the dream. That's how Satan works. He works through suggestions. He works through insights. Satan doesn't occupy your mind. That belongs to God. The Bible says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Let the mind that was in Christ Jesus be in you. When you utter a word, Satan can hear it. He's, he's in a realm where he hears these things. He can see as, as you have an alcohol problem. You drive by a, a liquor store or a bar and your head turns. He can see how your eyes dilate and he can see how your heart races. He can test those things. He can give you those temptations. But if you're in prayer and you're seeking the Lord, there's this, this realm belongs to God. God transforms you by the renewing of your mind. You see, the scripture says in Thessalonians that we're a trichotomy, a three-part being, body, soul, and spirit. In the, the, the Greek, it's soma, psyche, and pneuma. And, and the tragedy is the pneuma is the spirit of God. And when we remove the pneuma, the spirit of God that dictates to our psyche, our mind and our intellect, what our body's supposed to do, when we remove the pneuma, the body takes over and we just become creatures of habit. We become creatures of addiction. So the heroin drives us and it, it destroys our mind and we do things that are irrational and we steal from our family and we do all these things because we're driven by our bodily instincts because God is no longer in the picture. 
And we have all these triggering mechanisms that we have, we've, we've established through our body mechanisms. And our mind starts to be triggered by dopamines. We go through depression, all these other things. And the Spirit of God wants to renew us and restore us and, and refresh us. And give us a new lease on life. And the greater the indulgence, the more it takes to just cling to the Lord. Prayer has to be dominant in a person who's coming off of drugs. It, it's awful. But the idea is that God makes us a trichotomy, a whole being, where the pneuma dictates to the psyche what the soma is going to do. The, the, the Spirit of God dictates to the mind what the body will do. And, and, and you remove that context, and, and it's just miserable. And, and Satan knows how to play you. He plays you like a fiddle. And so what he does is, is he, he takes you off of the things of the Lord. He gets your mind off of the things of the Lord, and he puts you in the horoscopes. Because those are easy. You don't have to labor in the word of God. You just read a horoscope. Oh, this is, this is me. I'm a Leo. This is totally me. This is totally me. I mean, if there was anything, that's, this is it right here. And then, you know, the sorcerers, this, 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 this deep, you know, catatonic, you know, music. You just get into this trance. And then they do the sorcery. They put you in front of the Nintendo. Killing everything, killing everything, killing everything. Numbing your mind. Everything's dead. Everything's bloody. Oh, it doesn't matter anymore. And you just get into this, this mode and your mind is trained into this realm of darkness and death. And the music just feeds it and you're just into it. Forget about the intellect and rising to heights of understanding and comprehending these things and, and being a transformative factor. You're just numbed. And you sit like an idiot in front of that box. And then the, the magic, the magicians come in and they, they sleight of hand and they, they, they make you think that they have some sort of power and authority and, and you, you become entranced by, by the, the baubles and trinkets and sleight of hand. No, 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 no. This is, this is, this is excitement over here. If you can you, you become America's next idol, this is where it is. And don't, don't look at these tabloids over here. These are not anything. Don't mind the man behind the screen. Just look at all the fascinating, and this is the ride you're going to get. You're going to get to sit and, and with CeeLo, and you're going to get to study with him and, and whoever else is one of the musicians, and you're going to be great. Forget about the tabloids. Don't look at those. Just keep your eyes down. Just pay for your groceries and go. Don't look at the tabloids. These are people of wealth and they've, they've imploded, but that's not important. Just keep your eyes on this sleight of hand. See, see, you're going, wow, he's pulling his finger off. No, I'm not. See, that's fascinating. So you have the sorcery and you have the magicians and the astrologers with the horoscopes and just anything but the word of God. And then the Chaldeans come in and they want to communicate because you feel spiritual and you want a connection spiritually. And so you get Marianne Williams, Marianne Williams. And she speaks with the spirits in the sky. And Oprah, she gets it. And you're like, oh, this is so soothing. And then uh, what's Joel Olstein? Just that. Praise God. Just want to wipe that off his face. He's just always smiling. He's such a happy guy. Because you're writing him checks. Because you're stupid. Some of you are a little irritated by that. Don't, just save the letter. It's all right. You and I disagree. We agree that we disagree. You just keep watching Joel send in the money. Praise God. And he just blows sunshine your way and you buy into it and everything's great. And you sit with somebody who has cancer and give them a little Joel Osteen. That's hollow. Just eating candy all day. It's delicious. It's delicious. It's, I don't feel well. My teeth are rotten. I don't know what happened. It's the milk and the meat of the word. You got to go deep. I, I, I wonder when Christ's name is even invoked. I don't even know what he stands for. Everything's just so happy. And, and sometimes you got to give the tough stuff. And so you got the Chaldeans, you got the sorcerers, you got the magicians, you got the astrologers, and they're all there to just, and you know what? And, and you go through the struggle, instead of calling on the name of the Lord, you, you, you go to your psychiatrist, your psychologist, not to say that they're to be dismissed, but I would say this, do you go to them first or you go to the Lord? Maybe the Lord told you to go to them. And the amazing thing about a psychiatrist or a psychologist is they can define the problem, but they have no answers. They have no solutions. Christian-based sometimes do. Sometimes they, they put those aside, but the reality is they, they can define the problem. 
And that's what, that's what Nebuchadnezzar is going, I know what the problem is. The problem is I can't sleep. You've defined it. Thank you. I've been awake all week. But I want you to tell me what the dream is. And then I want you to tell me the interpretation of the dream. I want to know what the meaning and the purpose of life is. And I, I need answers. And they're going, well, well, you know what? We can't really do the dream part of it. We can give you interpretations. Tell us the dream and we'll just tell you what you need to know. <laughs> and he goes, no. I'm young. I'm surrounded by all these knuckleheads. And I'm going to tell you what I'm going to do. You either give me the dream and the interpretation or I'm going to cut you in quarters and I'm going to burn your house. How's them apples? And finally, the Chaldeans just go, nobody can do this. There, there, is, there is no possible way, shape, or form. He says, it's a difficult thing that the king requests and there's no other who can tell it to the king except the gods whose dwelling is not with flesh. Really? <laughs> Jeremiah's probably like, <laughs> because he remembers Isaiah, Emmanuel, God with us. He became flesh, left the glory of heaven's throne for the humiliation of an earthly cross. To dwell with man was fully man, fully God. Why? Why did God have to leave heaven to be a man? Why did he have to be born of a virgin? Why did he have to die on a cross? Why was he betrayed by 30 pieces of silver? And by the way, all of those are listed in Isaiah, the Jewish scriptures. Not in our Testament, not in the New Testament. They are written in the Jewish scriptures. These are all messianic prophecies. And there's over 3,000 of them. And I just gave you a handful of them. 30 pieces of silver he'd be betrayed with. He would be crucified. That was prophesied 800 years before crucifixion was ever invented. He'd be born of a virgin in Bethlehem. How many people in the room have ever been born in Bethlehem? None of you. That's so specific. It's ridiculous. Take those 30 prophecies. The, 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 the statistical analysis of that would be covering the entire state of Texas three feet deep in silver dollars. Painting one of them red, throwing it somewhere in Texas. There's, there's, there's cities in Texas you don't even know the name. Weird names. And you can drive all day and all night and not be out of Texas, and it doesn't change. It's the same landscape. It's like, saw this. Saw it. And you people want to move there. Really, what is your problem? Government, I know. But you cover it three feet deep in silver dollars, paint one red, throw it somewhere in Texas, take a blind man, parachute him out of a plane, let him land, walk the entire state of Texas. He's allowed to reach down once and pick up a silver dollar and he finds the red one. That is the statistical analysis of at least 30 of these prophecies being fulfilled, let alone the over 3,000. The more sure word of prophecy that speaks beyond the space-time continuum. And you, you look at that and it baffles you, it blows your mind. And, and here today, you've been given the meaning and the purpose and the answer. It's Jesus Christ. And you go, I, is there another answer? Because I want to celebrate, I want to celebrate the holidays. And I want to feel family. And I want to feel joy and hope. <laughs> and, and I want to have all that. But can you just take out Christ? No. I want to have Thanksgiving, but I don't want to be thankful to God. Can we do it like just the holiday season? No. You, 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 want, you want these things without the one who provides them. It doesn't work that way. And your pride separates you. And God's in the business of keeping you awake and miserable. And that's why the holiday seasons are so depressing. So depressing. There just isn't enough, there isn't enough scotch or bourbon if you're a Democrat. I just thought I'd throw that out there. My mother taught me that and I... And I just want you to know I'm a Republican. <laughs> just kidding. I don't know where that came from. Where are we? And he looks at them and he says, I don't need your gimmicks. I'm tired of paying you 395 bucks an hour for your time. You either give me the dream and the interpretation or you're dead. And they all come to a place. They go, you know what? We can define the problem. We don't have the answers to it. And we can only define the problem if you tell us what you're struggling with. But if you don't even tell us that, we have no idea how you're wired. We don't even know what you dreamed. That's beyond us. That's in the realm of, of the gods. And Daniel goes, no, it's not. It's in the realm of God. And a God who became flesh and dwelt with us, Jesus Christ, Yeshua HaMashiach, the Messiah. You go, well, uh, the Messiah hasn't come. Oh, I'm sorry, are you Jewish? Yes, I am. Well, I'm glad. Welcome. But I have news for you. 
You see, Daniel, this passage of Scripture started when they put, when they put the, the kingdom and the lineage and, and, the, and the line of the tribe of Judah, David's heritage, they put it on hold, and now we're in the season of the Gentiles. This is the Babylonian Empire. This is a prophecy that will be fulfilled in the backbone of prophecy all the way through Revelation. He's speaking to the Gentiles, and he's saying, listen, the Messiah's already come, and you're in the realm of the Gentiles who understand the Messiah, and even Nebuchadnezzar would come to a saving knowledge of God. And, and this whole idea of a Messiah, Jesus had prophesied, we've already gone through that, the statistical analysis of that, you know that he speaks beyond the space-time continuum. And if you're waiting for a Messiah that comes from the line of the tribe of Judah, the lineage of David, it was already fulfilled in Joseph and in Mary on both sides. Jesus Christ is of the line of the tribe of Judah. He is the son of David. And if you're waiting for another, the temple was destroyed in 70 AD and all the records were destroyed as well. So if you're waiting for a Messiah, he's not coming, he's already come. And in addition, I would add this, that if you're Jewish, the Bible says blood must be shed for the, for the remission of sins. Your temple's destroyed. And there's, you can't do Yom Kippur in a day of atonement where you weigh the good and the bad. It doesn't work that way. One sin separates you from a holy God. The, the arrow misses the bullseye. The Messiah wants to move the bullseye to where you are. But your pride is keeping you because you are the chosen race and you don't want to be like one of the Gentiles. Does that, does that hurt you? I understand nobody wants to hang out with me. I'm a Gentile. I get it. But the reality is we're one blood. And the ground at the foot of the cross is level. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. He's come that you might have life and life more abundant. Whoever would call on the name of the Lord will be saved. There's Messianic Jews in this room who have come to realize Jesus Christ is their Messiah. They put their pride aside. And I'll tell you what, they love the fellowship. And the power of what God wants to do is he's speaking to Nebuchadnezzar in the midst of this dream. And it's so overwhelming that Nebuchadnezzar just loses it and he says, start killing him. I'm sick of these people. He's so empty and so miserable, he gives a decree, just start cutting them down. And as, and as they start to head out to cut them all down, they start to kill all of these, these wise men. Arioch, the captain, comes to kill Daniel and Mishael and Hananiah and Azariah. And Daniel goes, wait a minute, what are you doing? And Arioch shares with him, he says, listen, this is what the king decreed. He goes, what, what is the urgency of this? He says, all right, all right. I get it. The king is burdened. He's not sleeping. He says, give me a second. He walks in. And you know why he gets an audience with the king? Because for the three years that he trained as a eunuch, he was 10 times wiser than all. You know why? Because he studied. He did his homework. He understood the language of the Chaldeans. He understood the magic. He understood the astrology. He understood. He studied. Our kids are late. We don't study. I'd rather sit in front of Nintendo. Daniel studied. Mishael studied. Hananiah studied. Azariah studied. Every ology, sociology, theology, anthropology, they all, they, they focus. You, you see this idea of university, unified diversity, where they all focus on, on one unified principle to glorify God, but every ology focuses towards that. And your kids get this education where they have this broad base pointing to one God. And Daniel studied to show himself approved unto God, a workman who need not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. And he was so moved. Nebuchadnezzar was so moved that when Daniel said, I, I, can I talk to the king? He says, bring him in. And this 17-year-old kid, 16-year-old kid walks in, having studied. And he looks at Nebuchadnezzar. He says, I get it. You're tired. You're tired. I know what it's like to be miserable. I've laid awake in my bed, sobbing over the death of my parents. I get what you're going through. I can empathize and sympathize with your struggle. He says, you give me some time and I'll come back and I'm gonna give you the meaning and the purpose and the answers. Do you trust me? And Nebuchadnezzar says, okay, you got time. He gave time to Daniel that he wouldn't give to the other astrologers or magicians or sorcerers or Chaldeans. And so Daniel goes and the first thing he does is he gets Mishael, he gets Hananiah, and he gets Azariah. He says, fellas, on your knees, let's pray. And let's cry out for God's mercy. Blessed are the merciful for they shall receive mercy. Let's just ask him right now. And I got news for you. Do you have a friend or a loved one who doesn't know Christ? Get to your knees. Oh, you love to whine and complain, but get to your knees. Cry out to God and intercede on their behalf and say, God, would you keep them awake at night? And by the way, for those of you who don't know the Lord, I'm going to pray this prayer. I'm going to ask that God keeps you awake and makes you miserable. The reason why I say that is 
I was touched in my life by a man named Bill Fleming. I was a, a single man. I was living in Redlands, California, and I had a roommate. His name was uh, Max Koenig. He was an assistant district attorney in the county of San Bernardino. And Max and I were fixing up a house, and we were going to sell it. We'd done the plumbing, and we'd done some framing, but we didn't know how to do electrical because we weren't good at that. We were going to kill ourselves, and we tried. And we were completely out of money. And we would meet every morning at the Bob's Big Boy in Redlands. I don't know if it's still open, but we'd meet at the coffee bar and we'd pray. And we'd just start giving these things to the Lord. And so I come into the coffee bar, I sit down, and there's this big hulking guy with a beard, looks like Grizzly Adams. He just stinks, his clothes are nasty, he's smoking a filterless camel cigarette, his fingers are yellow, he's just sucking on that thing and throws it away until he burns his finger and it's just nasty. And, and it's the only spot open, the two seats, and I have to turn my back to him and it really it just reeks. I mean, he smells like the north end of a southbound donkey, he's just awful. <laughs> And I'm, I'm sitting there just trying to avoid the stench and, and Max is praying. I'm praying real soft, you know, just Lord, would you bring us an electrician? And I don't want anyone to hear the prayer and I certainly don't want that guy hearing the prayer. And Max, he's just boisterous. He's like, Lord, we just asked you to bring us an electrician and please, please God, I'm going, Max, keep it down. Oh man, you have to pray so loud. And in the middle of that, this guy nudges me and I'm like, what? He goes, hey, God's answered your prayer. I'm an electrician. <laughs> I'm like, hey, 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 hey. <laughs> and Max is like, hey, praise the Lord, electrician. I'm like, yeah. The guy goes, when do I get to work? Where are you living? In my car. He has a Volkswagen bug. The guy was big. I don't know where he slept in that thing. <laughs> so he comes over to the house, and the house is in disarray. And you can sleep on the floor, and here's a sleeping bag that will burn later. And here's a sleep right here. And then Bill... Bill's like, okay, let's get to work. And, and Max had to go to work. And I was, I was leaving Helene Curtis to go work for Cheesebro Ponds. And I had a week in between transition. I wanted to finish the house. And I was going to move to Fresno to become an area manager with Cheesebro Ponds. So, you know, I'm helping run wire because that's all I know how to do. And Matt, uh, uh, Bill's doing all the hookups and everything. And the whole time he's doing it, I'm, I'm sharing the Lord with him. I'm witnessing to him. I'm telling him about Christ. He's like, yeah, yeah, I don't believe in it. He's cussing every third word. He's just foul mouth and he's just working it. And he's it's smoking like a chimney and the house reeks. And I, I'm just like, Lord, I don't get this. And, and just when we get to a critical stage, all of a sudden Bill's gone. I'm like, what? And we, where is, we go to church that night and we pray for Bill and, and Max and I are praying and, and we come back and a couple days pass and all of a sudden Bill comes in. He looks worse for wear. He just looks like he's been drugged through the mud. Bill, where have you been? We've been worried about you. He says, I was up in Yukaipa. I go, what are you doing in Yukaipa? I wanted to kill myself. I had a gun to my mouth. Oh, why'd you want to kill yourself? <sighs> you guys have been doing this whole Jesus thing and you've been talking to me about the Lord the whole week. I was just sick of it. I was a journeyman electrician in Alaska. I lost my wife and my kids and it just it all hell broke loose and I, I don't want to live anymore. He says, and besides, ever since you've been talking about that Jesus crap, that dream keeps coming back. I'm like, Dream? What dream? Max goes, what dream? He goes, none of your business. I ain't telling you. But I'm here to finish what I started and then I'll go kill myself. <laughs> well, praise the Lord. <laughs> well, let's get working. I'm kidding. I wasn't that cruel. <laughs> so, so he starts finishing. Bill goes back to work and I'm, I'm ministering to Max. Still, and he finally tells me the dream. He won't tell Max, but he tells me. He goes, all right, well, the dream. You swear you won't tell anybody? Yeah, until I become a minister. And... Uh, <laughs> He gave me permission. So he goes, uh, I was in Vietnam. I was on a riverboat in the Da Nang Delta. And uh, a small group of guys on those boats are tiny. And this kid gets stationed on it, and he's a Jesus freak and punk. And kids talking about God this, Jesus that. And we messed with him. We put stuff in his food. We threw his, boat, his boots overboard. We'd, we made his life a living hell. We'd spit on him. We'd cuss at him. And there was nowhere to, for that kid to hide. And we were on him like white on rice. We picked on that kid endlessly. I'm like, wow. And he goes, that kid just never shut up. Jesus, 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 Jesus. That was him saying it. <laughs> and he said, uh, and then this is the dream and it's real and it's just recurring. And I go, what's that, Bill? He said, we were on a patrol and a percussion grenade came from the VC and landed on board the boat and it was right by the three-quarter inch steel plating by the gun and there was ammunition and it was all, we were gonna be blown to shreds. And this kid like a John Wayne movie, he chested it and he jumped overboard. And I saw his face. And, he, and shrapnel got in my calf. 
And I still have the shrapnel, and I still have his memory, his face in my mind. I tried to drink it away and sex it away and drug it away, and I couldn't, and, and finally it went away, and now it's back since you guys have been talking about Jesus. I'm sick of it. And I go, well, Bill, you know, God visited people in dreams. He visited Ashasverish in the book of Esther. He visited Solomon. He visited Joseph. Tell him to go to Egypt. He, he visited the wise men to avoid Herod. And he, he visited Pilate's wife saying, don't have anything to do with this righteous man's destruction. He, he visited Paul with a vision of the Macedonian man. God speaks through dreams. And I got to tell you this, Bill. The scripture says, greater love has no man than this and to lay down his life for a friend. And if, if I could help interpret that dream for you, that young man gave his life so that you could have salvation in Christ. He knew his name was written in the Lamb's Book of Life. He gave his life to the Lord and he saved yours so that you could come to a saving knowledge. Today is a day of salvation, Bill. I never thought of it that way. Oh, crap. I'm being candid. That's what he said. Actually, no, he said something worse. And I go, do you want to pray? And he goes, no, I don't want to pray. Just enough with the prayer. Let's get to work. So we finished the electrical, and now it's time for me to move. And Bill offers to help drive the U-Haul van because I stink at driving a truck. <laughs> I'm a wimp. My wife always drives a truck. <laughs> uh, never mind. So we drive, we drive to Fresno. I drive my car. He drives a U-Haul. We get there. We unload. It ends up, we didn't make Sunday morning service, so we are going to go to Sunday evening service with Randy Brandon at Grace Community Church in Madera. And I know Randy, and, and my friend comes to meet me, and my friend and I are going to church, and Bill, we're going to go to church, we'll be back later. Goes, I want to go with you. Okay, yeah, sure, yeah, come on, let's go. So we drive, and we go to church, and Randy Brandon gives this most screaming sermon. It was so gospel-oriented. If you didn't get saved, you weren't alive. I mean, this sermon, I wanted to become a Christian again. It was so good. <laughs> And I'm like, oh, now it's time to pray to receive Christ. And I'm just saying, Lord, please move in Bill's life. And Bill doesn't even raise his hand. I'm like, what is your problem? Man, the guy died for you. I didn't say that to him, but my heart was so burdened. Bill, come on. How can your pride get in the way you were in Ukaipa with a gun to your mouth? Come on, man. I was burdened for him. The service ends. He doesn't raise his hand. We go back to the house and... and and I, and I turn to my friend. I go, let's close the night in prayer and go to bed. And he goes, yeah. And so we go to pray. And Bill goes, I want to pray with you guys. Okay, Bill, come on in. And you guys are holding hands. I don't hold hands. Okay, Bill. Well, I'll just, you, that's okay. And I pray and my friend prays. We say amen. And I'm like, okay. And Bill goes, oh, yeah, I want to pray. Okay, Bill. I've never done this before. That's okay. Just talk to God. Yeah. One of the coolest prayers I've ever heard. Every third word was an expletive. <laughs> Lord, you know all that I've ever done and how I, my life, and, and I just made it out of it all. And, and he's just, and I'm like, ooh, 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 ooh. And God's up there going, yes, 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 Bill. And, and it's their adjectives to Bill. And he's just cussing as he's praying. And I'm like, and my heart is moved, and Bill's sobbing like a little baby, sobbing. Snot's coming out of his nose. He's shaking. This bear of a man, and he's just pouring out his heart and with expletives to God. And he just says, God, if you would take this life that I've up and just make it something, I give you this life that I, and here it is, Lord. I give you my life. Jesus, save this, uh, yeah. I'm like, whoa. That's a good prayer. <laughs> and the angels in heaven are rejoicing and Bill's saved. He goes on to become the director of the Madeira Rescue Mission. He remarries. He's led thousands of people to Christ. And God visited him through a dream, a recurring dream of a face of a man who died to save him. And I share that because in all of the misery of Nebuchadnezzar's life, Daniel stood and said, I want to help you. He hit his knees for that lost man. He basically said, I know what troubles you and I know the answer, king. You have everything, but you have nothing. You're empty and you're burdened. You're empty and you're burdened. And I've come to minister to you. I'm blessed by that because Daniel shared with Nebuchadnezzar the meaning of life, the purpose of life, and he gave him the answers to life and the answer is Jesus Christ. 
And the part that ministers to me and I want to close with this morning is the fact that when we'll see later that the prayer was answered, excuse me, the the, the dream was interpreted. Nebuchadnezzar goes mad, but he comes to God later. And, And after this is all said and done and Daniel is promoted and he's given all kinds of wealth, Daniel doesn't say, you know what? Now that I've done the work and I've, I've not only given you the dream, but the interpretation of the dream, he says the guys that tried to do it, they're false prophets, kill them. He doesn't say that. Instead, in the closing verses, he tells them to save those men. He saw the potential that, that if they'd come to Christ, that they too would, would be new creatures in Christ. These are guys that are sorcerers. These, these, are, these guys are magicians. These guys are astrologers. They're, and, and you know what? It's amazing how, how legalistic we become because we think that we're so pure and we have disdain for the rest of the world and the misery of them that we don't even want to associate with that. And the first thing in Daniel's heart is save these men. Save the astrologers. Save the magicians. Save the sorcerers. They haven't even repented yet, but don't kill them. And how quick we are to just dismiss the rest of the world because they're not like us. And blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Daniel cried out to God, God, have mercy on me. And he understood that if God's gonna have mercy on me, I gotta have mercy on them. And then the last thing is this. I look around the room and I think there are folks in here that lay awake at night and you're burdened. You don't know the meaning or the purpose of life. And you've come up with all kinds of gimmicks and you've bought into the astrologers, you've bought into the magicians, you've bought into the sorcerers, you've bought into the Chaldeans. You've rewritten history, you, you, you read books, watch shows, you just try to numb yourself on your course through life and, you, and you're, you're whistling as you pass the graveyard. And you think you have answers and you don't. And I say that not because of what I say. I say that because of what the scripture said. The apostle Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 1, verse 18, he says, for the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. You look at the cross and you mock me and you laugh at me because you think that Christ doesn't need to belong in Christmas and you can have a happy holiday. You think that that Christ doesn't belong in church or in government. You don't believe Christ belongs anywhere. You think in all your wisdom and all your knowledge and all your evolutionary process that somehow we are a cosmic accident by some primordial soup and you just happen to come along and be here. Even though we're in a solar system where the earth is held in a delicate balance, if we were 5% closer to the sun, we'd burn to death. And if we were 5% further away, we'd freeze to death. And you somehow attribute that by some chance. Where do you come up with that? And you say it's hard to believe what I believe? That there's a God who created you in his image and he loves you? And that there's purpose and meaning in life, but you want to reject it because you want to be the author of your own life? While you lay in a bed that you can't sleep in and you lay next to somebody you don't love? And you reject the cross? You call it foolishness? You say that I'm a fool? Paul declared to, to, the, to the Greeks... As he stood there and he said, the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. You reject it. What is your answer? He says, but to those who are being saved, it's the power of God. I want to tell you right now that stands before you as an ex-drug addict. That stands before you as a man who could never hold a marriage together. Stands before you as a man who could never be a good father. And by the power of God and the power of that cross, I've been transformed. And Paul goes on to say, and his words echo today, he says, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise. You think you're wise? You think that you've come up with something? Interstellar, that movie, two hours and 45 minutes, nobody even quoted God. And the meaning of life is a bookshelf with a watch? What? (laughs) Seriously? That is art? And you call me stupid? You're on the other side of a bookshelf going, look at the book, look at the book, look at the book. You watch. (laughs) Really? I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this age? You want to mock me? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? I'm 50 years old. I've I've seen things come and go that people thought were so amazing and they're just dumb. Pet rocks. You bought them. Cabbage patch dolls. What? 
For since in the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom did not know God, it pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. God kept Nebuchadnezzar awake, not because he hated him, but because he loved him. And he's rocking your world right now because today is a day of salvation. The Jews request a sign. The Greeks seek after wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified to the Jews. It's a stumbling block. For some of you, I, I, I don't need Christianity. Christianity is a crutch. It's not a crutch. It's a lung machine and a heart machine. It's a life support system because nobody's getting out of here alive. It's everything to me. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God, because the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Just ask Bill Fleming. What's it gonna take? Sleepless nights or a humble heart to declare that today is a day of salvation and Christ loves you with an everlasting love that he left the glory of heaven's throne to move the bullseye where you are. And if you believe in your heart and confess with your tongue that Jesus Christ is Lord, you will be saved. There is no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. I can't make it any more profound than that. And in a moment, I'm gonna have you bow your heads and close your eyes. And you're gonna do a transaction with God. I leave you with my favorite story before we do that. A true story. I do it every time I cast the net to the best of my ability because this, this is a picture God gave me and I'll never forget as long as I live. I was a lifeguard. And there was a guy drowning and he was wearing a Raider shirt. And I was a Charger fan. I'm like, drown. And, it, and I'm kidding. I wasn't a believer then. And I was sitting in the lifeguard vehicle, I was shotgun and, and the other guy was driving. It was at the end of the day and we were freezing and we'd done so many rescues. We told the guy to move, he flipped us off. He didn't want anything to do with us. And sure enough, he gets caught in a rip current and now they tell me I have to go out and get him. And all of his friends are laughing and the kid was heavy set and he was wearing a Raiders shirt and he's just climbing the ladder and he's, he's just, he's in trouble. So I popped my Peterson tube. I got out there, the, the marine layers come in, it's cold. I'm just freezing, I'm angry. I was gonna use the word piss, but I was angry. And I get out there and I, I swim out and I get to him and I give him the Peterson tube. I go, grab this, let's get in. He goes, I don't need your tube. I'm like, oh man, pride. I'm sitting on the thing shivering and I go, grab the tube. He goes, I don't need it. And all of his friends are laughing on the shore. So I have to sit there and shiver while he's sitting there in pride. And all of a sudden he aspirates a little water and he starts panicking. He turns purple like Barney. And I'm, I'm like laughing. I'm going, anytime now. And he just starts panicking. He goes, I need the tube, I need the tube. I go, no, you say please. He's like, what, what, what? I said, I've been waiting out here. I knew you needed to be saved. Your pride made me freeze and, and you are more concerned with the people on the beach. I know you need to be saved. You say, please. He goes, please, please, please. I go, here. And I wasn't a Christian. He grabs a tube. I bring him in and all of his friends on the shore are laughing. And he looks at him and he grabs his stuff and he goes, that guy saved my life. You're laughing at me. You're not my friends. And he walks away. I didn't realize later in my life how profound that day would be. Because a lot of you right now, you're making the rest of us shiver and you know you need to be saved, but your pride keeps you from grabbing the Savior's buoy. Today is a day of salvation. God will reach into the jungles of prosperity to get Nebuchadnezzar and he's gonna reach right here in this room today to save you. And when you bow your head and you close your eyes, I'm gonna do this simple transaction. I'm gonna say, if you wanna receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior right now, I want you to raise your hand. And I'm gonna, that's your transaction. You raise your hand. You don't wait. And that's it. Done. Your name's written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. As our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. Everybody, everybody, bow your heads, close your eyes. This is a private moment between everybody and the Lord. Today is a day of salvation. God has spoken over thousands of years to declare that today is a day of salvation. There's no other name under heaven by which you must be saved. Jesus Christ has come to seek and to save that which is lost, and we are all lost. Our foolishness has brought us to a place of sleeplessness, and today God wants us to have life and life more abundant. He's come not only to give us meaning and purpose in life, but to give us answers. He's come to set us free. He says, if you believe in your heart and you confess with your tongue that Jesus is Lord, you will be saved to the glory of the Father. And with that understanding, 
right now in this room between you and the Lord. And if you want to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior right now, raise your hand right now. Put them up. God bless you. 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 Don't be like that guy on the beach. Your pride is keeping you from a life in Christ. Raise it right now. God wants you. Amen. Anyone else? Lord, thank you for those who have responded. I see you back there. Bless you. Lord, thank you for those who have responded. They have declared that Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior. They've received you with all their heart. Lord, you who began a good work are faithful to complete it under the day of Christ Jesus. And I pray that you'd pour your spirit upon them. Give them a supernatural love for your word and a heart to proclaim it. That they would never forget this day. This is the day they declare Jesus Christ as their Savior and their Lord. And so God, thank you. Thank you for saving. We praise you, we worship you, and we love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's clap for our new brothers and sisters in Christ. Well, let's stand. We're going to close with the doxology, and then you get to go home. Amen? <laughs> for those of you who gave your heart to the Lord, at the end of the service, if you want to talk, you want to get connected, any way I can help you, John's up here, Pastor Brett, the rest of us, we're here to minister to you. Brett in the back, wave your, there he is. Talk to Brett. We'll get you a Bible, get you started. Let God, who began this good work, he's faithful to complete it. But get that Bible, let God minister to you in Jesus' name. Amen? Bless you all.